0: Welcome to the podcast, walking you through the ICU. I'm Kaylee Dayton, an ICU nurse practitioner and ICU consultant. This is your guide to helping your loved one survive and thrive during and after critical illness. This is not medical advice, but medical information. Please collaborate with your wonderful ICU team to apply this information as appropriate for your loved one. If you are looking for tools for advocacy specific to your loved one's journey, Please book a counseling session with me at www.DaytonICUConsulting.com. The podcast blog with studies, pictures, videos, and resources related to these episodes are found on the website as well. Welcome to the ICU. You likely don't feel so welcome. It's not a very warm and welcoming place. No one chooses to go there except those that volunteer to work under difficult conditions in stressful and heartbreaking situations. You didn't sign up for this, yet here you are. It's a whole new world in there. So let me give you a quick tour. The intensive care unit is a specialty of medicine dedicated to patients that are sick enough to require extra observation and or extra care. Within this specialty, there are many kinds of ICUs, such as trauma, respiratory, or medical-surgical. Different hospitals have different levels of ICUs. Not all ICUs have doctors specifically trained for ICU called intensivists. Smaller and more rural hospitals may have regular hospital doctors called hospitalists care for their ICU patients that are not so severely ill. Yet in normal circumstances, meaning before COVID, if a patient required a higher level of treatment, they were sent to a bigger hospital that had the equipment and trained staff to care for the specific illness and level of severity of that patient's condition. So being in the ICU naturally causes panic, but even within the ICU, there are different levels of critical illness. No one wants to be in the ICU, but the ICU really has some significant benefits. And I have seen many patients hesitate to leave. For example, in the United States, one ICU nurse has two patients. On the normal hospital floors, nurses have four to eight patients. If the patient is exceptionally ill and in a severe crisis, then the nurse will only have them as their one patient. Again, under normal circumstances. In other countries, such as Denmark, their ICU nurses have one patient. So it's one nurse to one patient all the time. So being in the ICU means that there is closer and better care for patients in the greatest danger. Things have changed during COVID, ratios with the staff have changed. We are in a completely different scenario, so your loved one may have one nurse to three to four other patients. That significantly impacts the level of care they can and will receive. But let me rewind and introduce you to the ICU team. As I mentioned, the team lead is usually an intensivist. This is a physician that has specialized in the ICU and often in pulmonology or anesthesiology as well. In the United States, to become an intensivist, you have to complete your bachelor's, then four years of medical school, three years of residency, then two years of fellowship, and then an additional one year of fellowship in critical care. This is a total of at least 14 years of higher education and training. Your intensivist's likely have years to decades of experience beyond that. Then you may have a nurse practitioner or an NP, which is usually someone that has their bachelor's in nursing, then years of experience working as a nurse, and then went on to get their master's or doctorate. They work alongside the intensivist to develop diagnoses, plans, and procedures, as well as collaborate with the team to ensure optimal care for your loved one. You may have a physician's associate, known as a PA, who has their master's and years of training and experience. They work alongside intensivists and NPs to also diagnose, provide plans of care, orders, and perform procedures. You will have respiratory therapists caring for your loved one. They have their bachelor's or master's in respiratory therapy and the expertise in all things oxygen delivery lungs and ventilators ideally they should care for only four patients on a ventilator but they have been a hot commodity during this pandemic and are spread very thin and are taking on far too many patients treat them well your nurses have their bachelor bachelors or masters and often have additional education and training to be certified as a critical care nurse Many are well-seasoned, traveled, and knowledgeable. They are in charge of all the details and coordination of patient care, from the bathing to medication, tests, mobility. They are the guardians and pulse in the ICU. Again, in the States, they should have only two patients. But times are hard and so different right now. Care is impacted by how many patients they have, so please Be patient with them and kind to them. Physical therapists or PTs should be heavily involved in your loved one's care right away. We will discuss that more later. But physical therapists usually have their doctorates in physical therapy and can even specialize in acute care and be additionally trained for intensive care. They are in charge of keeping your loved one mobile, functional, and able to discharge home with you from the hospital you want and need them there. If they're not there, ask for them. They too are in high demand right now. Occupational therapists have their masters or doctorates in occupational therapy. They are in charge of cognition, fine and gross motor skills, communication, mobility, self-care, so many things. They too should be involved with your loved one right away. Speech-language pathologists have their masters and are in charge of communication, cognition, and swallowing. They are the secret weapons of the ICU and a huge player in getting your loved one home. These rehab services, PT, OT, and SLP, are the delirium SWAT team, which we will discuss in another episode. But they are also understaffed and underutilized in the ICU. But will be your best friends in keeping your loved one human at this time. You have every right to request them. Pharmacists are the man behind the veil making so much magic and safety happen. They have their doctorates and often extra residency and certification in critical care. You will probably see them at rounds. Give them an extra high five, some candy, anything. They have been under incredible stress during the pandemic. We would all be in grave danger without them. Registered dietitians are also the discreet saviors in the ICU. They have their master's degrees and can specialize in ICU. Their interventions truly save lives. Please make sure your loved one has a registered dietitian consulting, no matter how sick they are. You want these geniuses monitoring them and preventing them from getting sicker. Critical care techs are the fuel of the ICU. They are CNAs that are specially trained for the ICU to make sure the foleys are clean, baths are done, rooms are stocked, patients are walked, hair is braided. They are so busy, but are so great. Chaplains can be a key player. They have their masters in providing spiritual support. They can be secret weapons for delirium or spiritual crises please use them. Social workers have their masters and keep everyone afloat to make sure patients have the support they need to succeed after the ICU. You may also be working with fellows or residents residents that are doing their training to become intensivists. Then there is you, the family member or loved one. Your expertise is your loved one. You bring so much to the table. Understand everyone's role so you know how to respect and utilize them. Many of these disciplines will meet together for a daily meeting called rounds. There, they will discuss your loved one's case and collaborate together and develop a plan of care. Hopefully you will be invited to participate in rounds. If not, ask if you can come. It is a good opportunity for you to listen in and write down questions to ask later during the family meeting. Okay, I know, it's it's all a lot. A lot of people, a lot of different roles, a lot of information. Then you look around the room and you see so many different machines, monitors and equipment. So let's look at the monitor, the main big screen with all the different lines, colors and numbers. I would describe and explain it to you specifically, but they can all be arranged so differently. I don't wanna make it confusing, but usually the top lines and then the number are for the heart rate. This is reading the stickers on your loved one's chest. The ICU team will watch the patterns of the heart monitor to look for signs of abnormality or danger. They measure this formally And closely throughout their shift, every time they go into the room, usually when they sit down to chart, they can see a monitor by the computer or in the break room, even at the nurse's desk. Your loved one is constantly being monitored. They set alarms on the monitors. So if something changes outside of normal parameters, everyone will know and they will react. On that monitor is also the oxygen level monitoring. That is being read by a clip or a sticker stuck to your loved one's finger, toe, ear, or forehead. If that falls off, an alarm will sound and someone will come to help. It's not a big emergency. Don't panic over every alarm. The team is aware and monitoring your loved one. There's often a line and a number for the respiratory rate, um, which measures how many times they breathe a minute. This number is actually usually inaccurate on the monitor. So they'll often take it off. It's okay. They'll still be monitoring their respiratory rate every two hours. And probably every time they go into the room, the second, any clinician comes in. They're looking at your loved one and assessing them instinctively. I promise your loved one is being closely observed and monitored. There may also be a temperature reading on the monitor being tracked by the urinary catheter or breathing tube. There will also be a blood pressure reading that will either be from a blood pressure cuff on their arm or a little catheter in one of their arteries. Sometimes there are extra readings, but I will stick to the most common ones for now. These numbers may look really overwhelming, but that's pretty much it. Usually it's the heart rate, breathing rate, oxygen level, temperature, and blood pressure check out the blog for a visual explanation. I will do a separate episode later on the ventilator in case it's not relevant to you or your loved one's situation right now. When clinicians come into the room and it looks like they're coming in to check the urinate catheter or give a medication, your clinicians are always innately assessing your loved one closely. So don't be panicked or stressed. You don't need to sit and watch the monitors. Even when no one is in the room, they are aware of them and someone is watching the monitors. They are tracking everything that goes in and out of your loved one. They are combing through their lab values. They are documenting their behavior, demeanor, sleep, position, and status every one to two hours. Yet, you can't be part of the observation. You can watch for signs of pain or anxiety. You can help the rest of the ICU team understand how to communicate with them if they are on the ventilator or unable to do so verbally. You know your loved one. You know when something is different or off, and you can help bring awareness to those changes. I recognize that it may be hard and heartbreaking to see so many tubes and lines in your loved one. They probably have IV lines, which are little tubes that go into the smaller veins of the arms, hands, Maybe their neck. If it was hard to get access to those veins or they need a lot of medications, fluid, or blood, they probably have a central line. This is a bigger tube or catheter that goes into one of the bigger veins by their collarbone or neck and feeds straight into the heart. This is a great intervention. The central line allows the ICU team to give a lot of really important drugs really quickly and take effect rapidly. They may have an arterial or an art line, which is a little catheter into the wrist or groin that goes into an artery and measures the blood pressure with every beat of the heart. This helps the team to keep a a close and usually accurate eye on your loved one's blood pressure second by second. They can also draw blood from the arterial line to run important tests. They may have a chest tube or different drains, which will be shown on the blog. You can help keep these important lines and tubes safe and in place. If your loved one is confused, make sure they don't accidentally pull any of those out. The safer you can keep your loved one without the ICU team sedating them, the better they will get and the sooner they will be out of the ICU. As the team gets your loved one out of bed to walk, you can probably help push an IV pole or a wheelchair. These tubes and lines will be less scary as time goes on and you will become familiar and adjusted to them. Your loved one will stay in the ICU until they are stable and safe enough to go to the medical floor. This usually requires that their blood pressure be consistently normal. They are oriented and not severely impulsive or combative, their bleeding is resolved if it was present, and they do not need more than five or six liters of oxygen. The ICU team will make sure that they are past the critical phase of their illness and are not expected to be at danger of becoming sicker. They will then be moved to a medical floor where they will be cared for by a nurse that has about six to eight patients. Your presence will be so helpful during that time. So there you have it. That is a brief rundown of the ICU. Ask questions, get informed, and be updated. Stay tuned for the next important episode on medically induced comas. If you want to help make this life-saving information available to others, please leave a review for the podcast, share it with others, and share the clinician podcast with your ICU team. Thanks for being a part of the future of critical care medicine.